Welcome to Your Partner in Success Radio, a program that values the potential of knowledge, collaboration, and growth. The show is hosted by Denise Griffiths, who is known as an intensely curious nerd in stilettos. Each Wednesday, she is joined by co-host Ben Gay III, a renowned figure in the sales world. Ben is recognized for introducing The Closers, one of the most popular and powerful sales training materials ever produced. Having been mentored by Dr. Napoleon Hill himself, Ben has gained a wealth of knowledge on sales and life. Throughout the show, Denise and Ben delve into the world of sales, entrepreneurship, and success, exploring Ben's vast experience from guiding and mentoring countless professionals to achieve unparalleled success in their careers. Together, they offer unmatched guidance to listeners seeking success in their professional endeavors. Ben, good morning. I'm so happy to have you here. As you know, you are one of my favorite people in the world, and I make no, I don't even hide that. I've got about five favorite people, and you're in the top two. So when we decided to do this Wednesday podcast about success in sales, I jumped all over the opportunity. You are literally a living sales legend with an 86% closing rate. I think that's kind of unheard of, but I'll ask you about that. And of course, I have your books, also known as the Sales Bibles, the closers in my entrepreneurial library. So good morning, and let's chat. Good morning, Denise. Pleasure to be with you. I love your books. You sent them to me oh, eight or nine years ago. And when I say that they're a very important part of my my entrepreneurial library, I'm not joking. I'm not, I'm not kidding at all. And as you know, I never considered myself to be in sales, but – you very quickly corrected me as I read your books and chatted with you. We are all in sales. It's just how good we get at it. Exactly. And, and recognizing it as you go through life, I'm in sales when I invite Gigi to dinner and want to go to a certain restaurant, the sale begins. (laughs) And, uh, it, it's true in all human interactions. Somebody's trying to get somebody to do something or inform them or whatever. And I don't mean that in a cold way. It's just the way life works. And uh, I'm perfectly happy with that. But the trick is knowing that that's the game going on so that you can play it well. Well, we have to be persuasive. But to my way of thinking, when you're authentic in what you're asking for, what you're offering, and you're very authentic, that is pure persuasion. If you're trying to sell me something that you don't believe in yourself, I'm probably going to pick up on that and say no thanks. You will. Uh, Not only you pick up on that, you'll pick up on it quickly if you're not qualified to buy it financially, geographically, religiously, whatever. So it's up to the salesperson to make sure whatever he or she is presenting is a match for you or and or, if you don't know that in advance, uh, to quickly, gently, smoothly question them to find out. There's no point in wasting your time. One of the things salespeople fear is hearing no. I would much rather hear a firm no based on facts if I presented the opportunity properly. Uh, than a wishy-washy maybe. I I could spend days, weeks, months chasing around a wishy-washy maybe. I want a yes or a no before we get off the phone, unless there's, or the computer or end our meeting or whatever, unless there's some other information that I neglected to bring that you need, in which case we can delay it that long. But basically, My job is to present to you properly something that's of value to you, worth more to you in benefits than the money in your pocket or on your credit card or whatever, and to do it in such a persuasive manner that you're inclined uh, to join me in the endeavor. Selling just couldn't be simpler, Uh, but many people, many salespeople confuse it out of fear. Uh, and and make it much more complicated than it is. And frankly, being a sales trainer, I'll speak for all sales trainers, uh, some of us have had a tendency, I did it myself back in the early days, to complicate the process so you'd pay me 
to tell you the secret. You know, you got to have on a yellow hat and spin around three times and never use a red pen because that makes people angry and don't say this and do say this and tap dance near the end and so on. And, and the people say, well, I really need this information. That's all nonsense. Selling is so simple. And many people uh, don't need any training. They need an awareness of what's going on, but they don't need training. My the greatest salesperson I ever worked with was my running buddy in high school, my first business partner. And uh, we worked together in the first opportunity that we had where we started making a lot of money. Uh, his name is Jimmy Rucker. And Jimmy is a horrible sales trainer because he doesn't know what he does. He's a natural. I, I wrote about him in, in, in the last chapter of the closers part two, sales infiltration. That he should did, have a, and we've a, talked about him before. We talked yeah, about that him should last be, time. That should be uh, dedicated to him. It's him. But if you ask him, Jimmy, what should I do, or how can you train me? He says, Well, just just do what I do. Well, people need a little more instruction than that, but not much. So, Ben, if I'm if I'm understanding correctly, you're telling me and our audience that you really don't need a script, you know, one, two, three bullet points, do this, do this, don't do this. You need to understand who you are, what you're bringing to the table, and how you can be of assistance or help to the person that you're selling something to. Does that sound well, about right? It sounds about right, except for I don't believe in scripts. I do believe in scripts, but I'm not talking about the old-fashioned, hi, my name is Ben Gay, and I talk nonstop for the next 40 minutes and then ask you for your money. What I believe in is what I call script chunks. Uh, Hal Holbrook, the old actor, now passed away, used to do Mark Twain. He walked out on stage. And he told a certain story, a little short story by Mark Twain. He knew exactly the reaction that story should get because it had gotten it thousands of times over the years. Based on the reaction he actually got, he reached into his vault of nine and a half hours of word-for-word Mark Twain material and pulled out the story that would now fit best. And then the next one and the next one, each time the next story up was determined by the audience. They didn't know it. Uh, Their reaction to the previous one determined the next one. And that's why I use script chunks. If you ask me to describe the closers part one, I will tell you word for word the same thing I've told thousands of other people. If you if the conversation leads into the closers part two, I will tell you word for word what I've told other people. But I don't need to go from one to two to three to you know through the line. I need to give you in the most effective way possible what you need next. Those are script chunks. Picture Mark Twain's stories uh, in the background. So that's the only difference. In the old days, as people are fond of saying, we used to go from beginning to end nonstop, usually from the front of the room in a group presentation. That's still effective in a group presentation because you don't want a thousand people asking you individual questions in the middle of a presentation. But as soon as you're one-on-one with them or in a smaller group or what have you, you go to your script chunk. And uh, I have, I'm I'm guessing, I I don't think I've ever measured it. If I have, I've forgotten what the answer was. But I have a way of describing, for instance, the Closer series, everything about it, how I found it, et cetera. But I haven't done the whole thing to any one person in many, many years because I discovered they don't need the whole thing. They need what they need. And that might be... uh, because I'm a good observer and a dynamic listener, they might be leaning forward on their chair saying, I can't wait. How, how long is it going to take to get my 500 copies of the closers part one here for my salespeople? Well, that's not the time to give them strict uh, script chunk number one about the closers. They just bought, write it up. And once that's a done deal, you might say, now you're going to buy the closers part two for your people you want to know why you should do that now 
or do you want to dig into the closers part one first? We can do it either way. They will usually ask, well, what's the advantage of doing it now? I explain it to them, and suddenly we're talking about a 1,000 books, 500 to part one, 500 to part two. So it's, it's totally up to them. I, I try to offer people no more information than they need to make a, an intelligent buying decision. You talked about the 86% closing rate. Would you like to know how I do that? I would, but first I would like to know what is the benefit of ordering one and two at the same time? Well, the closers part one is the, the kicks, the blocks, the punches of selling, the red raw meat. And you really need to know about that. Uh, and it's by far our best-selling book. We sold 10.5 million copies of it when we quit counting 27 years ago. So because people like the excitement of wrestling them to the ground and grabbing their wallet and, and so on, that's the closers part one. Closers part two shows you what sophisticated people really do with that information. I'm aware that it's there. I know what comes next in the sales process but I've since developed a smoother way to do it, and that's laid out in the closures part two in general and in sales infiltration, the last chapter in the closures part two specifically. That's exactly, in, in sales infiltration, it's exactly what Zig Ziglar used to do without having a name for it. He didn't know he was doing it. He came out of his mother's womb laughing, giggling, telling stories, and making friends. It was a natural occurrence to uh, Zig. It was a natural occurrence to Jimmy Rucker. I had to learn it. The, uh, and I was raised as a Southern gentleman, so that put some limits on me. And by that, I, I mean I'm not willing to grab you by the throat, throw you to the ground, and grab your wallet. Uh, I do some work with Kirby vacuum cleaners, and they have an inside joke that the sales presentation is not over until you have payment in hand or the police have been called. I don't want the police called on me. Uh, and if you ask me to leave your home or your office, I'm gone. So I had to develop a way where you didn't ask me to leave your office, office or home, where you wanted to hear what I had to tell you and to effective, uh, uh, an effect, present an effective way to give you that information. I, you and I have talked about this privately. The Wall Street Journal uh, published a, a direct mail letter about 50 years ago. It's, you probably received it. You probably received it dozens of times. It starts off along, along these lines. I'm not quoting directly, but 25 years ago on a summer day or a spring day, whatever, two gentlemen graduated from XYZ College. Today, one of them is doing well in middle management, and the other one is CEO of the company. And they go on to imply that the difference is the CEO read the Wall Street Journal every day and the other guy didn't. It's such an effective presentation. It's become their control piece. And in the world of direct mail, a control piece is the best letter you've ever produced, and it's what you're now trying to top with a better letter. They've been trying to top the two people graduated on a spring day for almost 50 years and have never been able to beat it. So once you know how to present something so someone will sign up for three, five years with the Wall Street Journal, why wouldn't you send that out? You can test separately to try and beat it, but why wouldn't you send that out to everybody? It's your most effective thing. And everybody says, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I ought to do. But they... Uh, in their sales presentations, they don't. They wing it. They don't know what works. They haven't tested it. They don't know their closing rate with presentation A versus their closing rate with presentation B. And then when you try and get people, even on script chunks, they'll say, oh, I don't like scripting. Uh, it sounds terrible. I say, have you ever been to the movies? Are you aware they're all on script? You've ever watched television? They're all on script. Even the newscaster is reading a script in the teleprompter. He's not winging it. He or she is not winging it. They are giving the best presentation that it can possibly give. But here's the thing. People say, I don't want to be on script. If you've been on, in selling over 30 days, you're already on script. 
you tend to say the same thing over and over and over again, not because you tested it, not because it's effective, but it's what you fell into or heard somebody else saying you didn't know his or her results either, and you've fallen into it out of laziness and slothfulness. So I don't debate with with anybody about whether they ought to be on a script. I explain to them they already are. But my script with my products, and by the way, that 86% scans over numerous products and services by clients of mine when I'm testing their stuff. It's not just my books or my seminars or my mentoring programs. It's whatever I'm selling. So uh, I say my my scripts get 80, 86% closing rate. What does your get? Well, invariably, if they're an amateur salesperson, the answer is I don't know. <laughs> which is sort of funny. It's like being a major league baseball player, not knowing your batting average or your fielding oh average. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's sort of silly, you know, and uh, you have to know that information, but you need it with a proven tested script. And once I put out a script, we are all, you break it into script chunks. I show them where the chunks are. Uh, we're all on that together, word for word, or you must go work somewhere else. Now, if it can be improved, I will improve it, test that, and once I'm sure it is an improvement, then I announce it to everybody, and now we're all on that script. And uh, you take when I joined uh, Holiday Magic Cosmetics in 1965, they had started in 1964 in uh, the boss's mother's uh, mother-in-law's bedroom and uh, by the time I got there they were doing rather well and by the time I left we were taking in a million dollars a day in 1969-70 money that's three and a half billion dollars today and it was all based we had quality products the very best you could make for the money very best you could make, period. There wasn't anything else you could do. They were all pharmaceutical grade. They were attractively packaged. We won the packaging award of the year. But the secret was at 7.59 p.m., that makes people show up before 8 instead of telling them it's 8 and they show up at 8.20. At 7.59 p.m. in five different major companies, five different products, same marketing plan, same scripting, uh, in 20 different countries, in God knows how many languages and dialects, somebody stepped to the front of the room and said, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Ben Gay. I'm a general distributor with, in my case, Holiday Magic. And it's my pleasure to bring you, uh, to welcome you to tonight's special meeting. Then I went on for about 47 minutes, ran a 15, uh, I forget what it was, 12, 15-minute film. The lights came back up. And uh, the last thing the film said, turn to the person who brought you here and ask how you can get started in holiday magic or Bob Cummings vitamins or state power motor oil additives or whatever we were selling that night in that place. Uh, And when the lights came up, out came the legal pads and the distributors who were in the business who had brought the guests with them said, let me explain to you how it works. There are four basic positions. And they started drawing circles on the pad, saying word for word what the closing script was. And there were four levels. Anywhere you joined, we were done. But if you didn't join, there were four you you listened to. And that's how we went from zero virtual dollars to a million dollars a day, three and a half billion dollars, utter and complete standardization and it wasn't a suggestion you could be terminated if you didn't do that well that makes sense and you know i i like to watch people i'm a great observer introverts tend to be i had never heard of script chunks i'll be honest with you i'm fascinated by that but what i noticed what you just said about these presentations is there's always a call to action it's almost immediate so you mm-hmm. can't just say, hey, thanks for coming to my show. Have a nice day. You've got to now start <laughs> the, real, the real sales process, and that's yeah, called action. Know that's getting people to buy in. Yeah, you got to know when it's time to do it, and that shifts. I've had people 
uh, in many situations, but since we're talking about holy magic, when I started, uh, use that one. The script said, turn to the person brought you here and ask how the film said, and ask how you can get started in holiday magic. I've had people reach into their pocket and pull out their checkbook. Today it would be a credit or debit card, but they pull out their checkbook and say, how much and who do I make it out to? That's not the time to go into the closing script. No. <laughs> That's no. the time to write Holiday Magic Cosmetics, Inc. Right. $2,500. I'm so glad you brought that up because I've been around a lot of people who just one person in particular that I can think of and he's now he's deceased has been for a few years and he was just so proud of himself he thought he was the best salesperson in the world he never shut his mouth he kept talking he talked I watched him talk people I mean they would just be glassy eyed he'd talk them clean out of a sale over and, and he never caught on that that's what he was doing it was astonishing I learned a lot from not what to do by watching what people not to like do. that. Yeah. Zig or somebody, I forget who it was, I'd give credit to him if I could remember, said something along these lines. Most salespeople spend 10% of their time selling and 90% of their time unselling or talking to, buying the, the product back. Well, aren't you supposed to listen I mean, yeah, one of the yeah, it really is. <laughs> I mean, one of the things that a lot of salespeople, and I'm thinking of a car salesman right now. Bless his heart, my ex-husband had already bought the car. He just wanted me to go look at the car before he, you know, put down the check. And the minute I walked in the door, the guy tried to sell me the car that was already sold. It was like, dude, knock it! <laughs> I, I actually got up and left. I went outside. I thought, you're about to lose this sale, and this is a little Mercedes that my ex-husband had to have. I didn't like it. It was too low on the ground. I felt like when I was driving and I was sitting my butt on the ground and going, I hated the car. I didn't drive it. (laughs) It was just... expensive skateboard. That's exactly what it was. But this poor salesman was just bound and determined to sell me that car. It's like, dude, the check's right there. Stop talking the uh, several years ago, they came out with a deal. I don't know if it's still in effect or not. If a car weighed six thousand pounds or more, you could write it off like it was a ream of copy paper. You didn't have to depreciate it and all that. You just could write it off. Uh, that was, I think, it was a nod to the farmers for selling tractors. But cars were getting big enough, SUVs and so on. The, the uh, Tahoe. XL Denali, for instance, uh, which I had seen sort of liked, <clears throat> fit in that category. So I called my car guy in, here in this little town of Placerville, Dave Clark, and I said, Dave, uh, we're, we're about to get a new car, and of course I'm calling you, and uh, by this time he was the sales manager. And uh, here's my only question. Do you have a car that's 6,000 pounds? He said, oh, you want the tax credit? And I said, yeah. Oh. He, said, Ab- he said, absolutely. We have the Tahoe XL Denali, and we have the uh, Toyota Sequoia, I think, whatever their big one is. And, and he said, both of them qualify. They're both over 6,000 pounds. I said, they're nice cars. He said, absolutely, or we wouldn't be selling them. I said, well, let us come over and, and uh, take a look. He said, I'll get them both out front. So we pull up. There's a white Denali and a, I think it was a blue or something, Toyota sitting on the grass in front of the dealership. And uh, I said, uh, you will take a look around, and then basically, what color do you want? In the meantime, this guy, young man, walks up, and Dave said, I'm going to be here with you, but he's going to handle the sale. He's technically going to be your salesperson. In other words, Dave was helping him. He was a brand-new guy, and uh, uh, he was going to you know, give him the sale. And I said, great. Uh, we're trying to decide here on colors. And with that, the young man opens the hood and says, well, let me show you the wh- whatever. And I looked over at Dave, and he winked, and I winked. And uh, then let me show you this. And, of course, it's got the dynamic tension, uh, whatever. I, I'm not mechanical. All I want to know about a car is where's the steering wheel, 
where are the brakes, where's the accelerator, and where does the key go? And when none of that works, what's your phone number? Because I'm going to call you, and you're going to come fix it. That's all I need to know about a car. And, you and me both. Uh, yeah. So uh, in the meantime, Gigi had said, uh, I like the white one. So that made it the Denali, Tahoe, whatever, GMC. And I said, great, uh, that's one we'll do. He's in the young man's start. He said, well, then let me show you. And he gets down his back, and he's scooting under the car. And finally, David Clark couldn't take it anymore. He said, will you shut up and write up the sale? He told you when you walked up, he wanted the white one. That's all you need to know. And the guy says, but, but I'm supposed to tell him all about the car. He, he doesn't care all about the car. If he if he has questions about the car, he'll call you next week or two weeks from now or when he can't find the gas cap opener. Right now, your job is to write up the car. That's sort of like the guy trying to resell you the Mercedes. People don't listen. Hi, I want the white one, assuming it weighs 6,000 pounds. That, that was the only question, 6,000 pounds, and what color does GD like? See, I would have grabbed you, hugged you, and gotten that thing written up so fast that the ink wasn't dry. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, you're <laughs> that would have been that done. Yeah. On the way to get my order pad, which would probably be in my hip pocket, I might say, is there any is anything you want to know before I write this up? No. Fine. Boom. White, 6,000 pounds, and I forget how much it costs. Uh, we got a pretty good deal on that. So we were very happy with the car because we were able to fight our way through an amateur salesperson and buy the car in spite of him. A, fr- a friend of mine, you and I have talked about it, wrote a book called Waymish. Ray Considine is his name. He's now passed on. Waymish stands, W-A-Y-M-I-S-H, and it stands for Why Are You Making It So Hard, dot, 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 for me to give you my money. And half, about half the stories in the book are true stories about successful salespeople, and the other half are true stories about people who are making it hard <laughs> for us to buy from them. It's really true. Listen, as a web developer, I consult with a lot of people. I always consult with them before I'll accept them as a client. And I have, but I, I do have a script. I know exactly what I need to say. I'm listening. They may not care about some of the things that I have to say, so I'll cut that out. But, but I'm listening. I'm listening very carefully to what it is that they need, what they think they need, which, by the way, if you're hiring a web developer, chances are you don't need any of the stuff you're asking for. You just don't <laughs> listen to your developer. <laughs> but I will, and this, I guess as a testament to my listening ability, I will often have people say, how do I pay you? When do we start? It happens a lot. Yep. But I'm very confident in what I'm telling them that they are going to receive, what results they're going to get. They don't care if I have a computer science degree. I do. They don't care. They don't care if I have cats. I do. But they just want to know what's in it for them. So get out of the way. Absolutely. Uh, and, and the biggest thing they get when they buy your web service uh, or any of your other computer sales and marketing programs is they get you. And when somebody asks me, you know, what's unique about your product? And I said, well, you pretty much know the benefits and the features of the product because we've gone over those. Here's what's different. With this product, you get me. And you get my business card with my personal cell phone that I answer 20, 18 hours a day. Uh, I turn it off when we go to bed. But um, you get my personal cell phone number. And if something goes wrong or you have a question, you call me. There's nobody else on the planet who can offer you Ben Gay with their product or service. So that's what's unique. And see, that's brilliant because you are such an important and well-known figure in the sales arena, if you will. And there's, listen, there's a lot of great salespeople around, a lot, but none of them are you, and that's a very important thing. And Absolutely. the one thing that, I mean, you, you know, you are always looking to improve your skills and close more deals. And 
I mean, you stay up to date on the latest techniques and the trends in your industry, and you bring that. Not only you bring your history, but you bring your current information with you. Yes, uh, and you, you stay current. I said something earlier, I forget exactly what it was, but I said in the old days or the way we used to deliver a script. <clears throat> uh, here's one. Larry Wilson, Wade Cannon, and I sitting over lunch one day looking for a better way to have a, a magic close came up with feel, felt, found. I know how you feel. Others have felt the same way. Here's what they found. And that can be, you know, here's others have felt the same way. Uh, Here's what Bob found or whatever. But feel, felt, found. It was so successful. And I still hear it occasionally. There's a reverse mortgage company with a famous actor in it. And he says, uh, reverse mortgage isn't something to steal your house. Uh, many people felt that way, but here's what they found and, you know, feel, felt found. And uh, I thought, well, you little rascal, you don't even know where you stole that from. Uh, but it became so effective when you would say to a prospect within two, three years of us creating it, it became so effective uh, that if you said to a prospect, I know how you feel, others, and they would say, tell me how they felt. And tell me what they found. <laughs> they heard it so many times, they knew it better than us. So we had to sort of back off. I still use it occasionally, but padded where you almost can't recognize it with filler words. But it became so effective, it became too effective and too popular. And that happens. Can I, attitude, I thought of something yesterday while talking to a client I haven't thought of in years. Sales attitude, confidence, which you've alluded to several times. I had a friend, uh, Les Davis. I'm not sure he's still with us anymore. He was older than I am, and he'd had a heart, a massive heart attack in his 30s. He was the top salesman uh, for SMI, Success Motivationist, to Paul Myers Company in Waco, Texas. He was their top salesman selling distributorships. He was their top distributor selling the products, and he was their top sales trainer, bar none. I mean, there was nobody close to him, and he had this massive heart attack, almost died, was out of the business for, I don't I don't know, I didn't know him then, but let's say a year, and along that year, he lost his confidence, and then when he went back out, uh, he probably wasn't feeling up to speed 100%, he was finding he couldn't get in, he couldn't get past the gatekeeper. When he did, he wasn't selling and so on. And he became just sort of an average, mediocre distributor. And uh, his wife, Lil, said to him one day, Wes, you used to tell people about expecting the sale and so on. And, and we had a little letter we wrote. And, and uh, where's that? And so they went and found the letter. And the letter was, Dear Mr. Smith, I'm going to be in your area Tuesday. And I know this is, I'm paraphrasing, but I know this is presumptuous, but I will be in your office at 11 a.m. Tuesday morning. If you can make just a few minutes for me, unless you give me permission to stay, it won't take more than 10 minutes, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so they typed it up literally in those days. Lil was a high-speed typist, but they did them one at a time. They picked out, I'm making up numbers, but they picked out like, 40 companies to send it to and then they got out the calendar how many can people can he call on a day four or five or whatever so how can we spread this out over a week or two and and mail the letters so they gave the letters uh with all these three or four five appointments a day out and gave the letters to their son ronnie uh to mail uh and he waited a few days for the mail to get there, and then he started down the list. These are the people expecting me on Monday, these on Tuesday, da, 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 da. And suddenly he was getting in, and he was the old uh, less. He was selling as much as he ever had. He was getting past the gatekeepers. There were a few people who claimed they didn't get the letter or 
they'd forgotten about it. But by and large, they said, well, since you're here, you know, come on in. And uh, he was rather quickly their number one distributor again, number one sales trainer and number one salesperson. They had an old Cadillac convertible, and they decided to sell it. So as they listed it and people were going to come by and look at it, Les took his son, Ronnie, out and said, let's clean out the car. And they lifted out, the, among other things, the back seat, you know, the cushion, the whole thing, to make sure there weren't gum wrappers under the seat. And there were all of the letters that Ronnie was supposed to have mailed. All oh, no. They had slipped down between the seats. But because Wes believed, uh, Les believed that he was expected, believed the letters had gone out, with that new attitude, he went from mediocre back to the top of the pile in a company filled with sales professionals. So that is an amazing story, and I'm so glad you shared that. Do you have any idea, or was he ever able to identify why he lost his confidence? Did he just not feel well? Did he feel like he's been confidence. out too yeah, long? Yeah. A long time. Yeah, he didn't feel oh. like he had a massive heart attack, was in intensive care and and so on. And from what I've heard, the the uh, less I met wasn't quite physically in all the less before the heart attack. I only knew him from that point on. Uh, and he was a funny guy and, you know, fun to be around. But he had lost his confidence. He didn't think he could get in. He didn't think he could sell. He lost confidence in the product. Uh, and so SMI, Success Motivation Institute, sold, among other things, sales training courses. And guess who they hired to teach them how to sell sales training courses? Then Would that be you? And the closers. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> So they they bought the closers to find out how to sell their own sales training material. But that, well, that whole thing. It doesn't said, it hurt to up, ask. You yeah. should always ask for help. It uh, came up spontaneously. We were talking to somebody the other day, and I said, make sure you tell Denise about the letters under the car seat. Is that a spectacular example of attitude? It really is. and. You know, I'm, did his son survive that? Did he get whooped? You have to wonder. But just the I fact that he, so he must have survived. <laughs> he must have survived. But I love that story because it's a mindset story. You know, you think you've set. You know, you've already set the table. They're expecting you. You're going to go in, and then down the road, shock. You find out they didn't expect you, but they liked your aura, if you will, or yeah. how you presented yourself. And that makes a big, it's a mindset thing. And your assertiveness, pleasant assertiveness, yeah. and so on. So there's all, uh, Ray Considine, who wrote Weymish, uh, used to tell me a, a great lesson, and I think of it almost daily. He was, his wife worked for AT&T, and at the New York World's Fair, AT&T had the biggest uh, exhibit or exhibition of all the people who were at the fair. The reason, and the reason it was so popular was it was a look into the future, what the world was going to be like in a few years. So, and, and most of it came true, and most of it came true sooner than they thought, but because it was a look into the future. It was very popular. Ray and his wife are standing in this line. She didn't have credentials to butt her way to the head of the line, although she was an executive with them. And they got to the sign that said, you're two hours away <laughs> from the front door. And uh, so he's standing there looking around. Ray was very tall and handsome. So he's looking over the crowd and on the side of the building, he sees a yellow door and, uh, you know, painted yellow. And he sees people going up to it with tool belts on and knocking on the door and it opens and then they go in and, and so on. So he says to his lovely bride, follow me. I got an idea. He goes over to the yellow door and he goes. And they said, yes. And he said, Considine. And they opened the door and said, come in, sir. And in he and Betty walked into the dead center of the exhibit. 
the lesson in that story was he told me, he said, Ben, wherever you go in life, there's always a yellow door. Look for it. And getting past the world's toughest gatekeeper, I didn't have to get past her, but I had to see her to pick up checks and so on. One of my clients is a billionaire, spelled with a B, and his uh, doorkeeper, probably in real life a lovely lady, but hard as nails. And I was talking to to this group about getting past the gatekeeper. And they said, why don't you try getting past, I won't use her name, but why don't you try getting past her? I said, well, I could. There's always a yellow door because I told them that story. We're standing there and the squirrel comes down out of a tree, hops up on a railing, we were sort of in a courtyard, runs across, and there's two or three soda crackers in a pile on the end of the railing. He runs over, picks one up, nibbles on it, and so on. I said, what a cute little squirrel. And somebody's feeding him. They said, oh, yeah, that's Buddy, um, and it's her squirrel, and you better not mess with her squirrel. And I said, really? And inside my head, I'm going yellow door, yellow door. So when I got home, there in Pasadena, I got home, I went to our local feed store. And they'd never seen me before. I don't have horses or goats or whatever. But I walked in, I said, is there such a thing as squirrel food? They said, yes. Is there such a thing as gourmet squirrel food? Absolutely. I said, okay, I want enough to fill a large flat rate priority mail box. What does that take? And they gave me, I think, three or four bags of it. And so I sent it addressed to Buddy, not to her oh. or to my client. To Very Buddy. smart. At that address, I'm guessing, let's say 15 pounds, 10 pounds of gourmet squirrel food. Sent it to him and uh, waited a day or two, and I was thinking up some way to call call her and have an excuse to have a conversation. And she called me and she said, Ben, that was marvelous. Buddy loves his squirrel food. He can't believe, I don't think I can get him back on soda crackers. She said, let me tell you something. Anything you need at this company, you call me and I will handle it. The next time I'm down there, they owed me a significant amount of money and uh, I for consulting for a few days uh, and we had forgotten to send it in advance because he was a friend I got sloppy normally I get paid in advance it's difficult to repossess consulting or speaking <laughs> so I get paid in advance didn't this time come out of the meeting go over to her desk and I said this should have been mailed to you a week or 10 days ago and I'm making up numbers but it was $25,000 let's say and uh, uh, Carter knew it was coming. My friend knew it was coming, but but he hasn't approved it. So whatever. And she looked at it and she says, Ben, from Buddy and me, let me tell you, that's easy peasy. Never heard that term before. And she goes, tap, tap, tap. And bzz, out of the printer comes a check for the whole amount. This from the killer that won't do anything for you, that you can't get past Unless you spot Buddy the squirrel and realize he is a yellow door. Well, you found the way to her heart. Listen, we are a nation, we're a world, really, I think, of people who love animals. I think one Mm -hmm. of the biggest, biggest chunks of money that's spent annually, I know, in my house, I spend more money on chewies than I do. For my own food. My cats eat really well, but, you know, we love our pets. And when I say we love them, we love them. So mm-hmm. that's the way to our hearts many times, and that was brilliant. Absolutely. Uh, Yellow door. You, I'm you, writing that down. We, uh, as I've told you, we after our last chocolate lab had to be put down, I said to Gigi, okay, no more animals. I'm tired of worrying about them. I'm tired of vet bills. I'm tired of having to hire a sitter every time we go out of town and and so on. No more. And she said, okay. But she said, we've got some cats that wander around here. Do you mind if I put some dry food out for them on the back porch? I said, all right, but that's as far as it goes. She was selling you. I can see it coming. (laughs) She was selling you hard. This morning, as I left the house, 
to come be with you. I had to be careful not to wake up two of the cats who were asleep on the bed uh, and to make sure that the right food was put out for them. This, these two don't like beef and gravy. They like tuna with uh, scallop flavoring. I don't have scallops usually, <laughs> but they got scallops. And one of them came in a few months ago with something on his neck. So I, we took him to the vets. That was 400 and something dollars, $450. And I'm saying to the vet, this is not my cat. And they said, well, you brought it in. <laughs> so now I got $400 stuck in the cat. Yeah, that's supposed to eat dry food out on the back deck. So that, no. that, that if you if you don't find Buddy the squirrel, Buddy the cat will find you. Oh no, Kenny! And tell Gigi I love that story. I've got Hamilton is an ass. You know he's a hashtag on Facebook. Twenty pound ginger. He's going to do life his way. Hashtag Hamilton is an ass. He gets Christmas cards. You want to find me? Find Hamilton. It's that easy. Well, all I mean, of it's selling and all of it's living door. gracefully and successfully. It's, just, it's a yeah. wonderful life if you make it that. And selling can make it that for people who have no other skills. I'm a high school graduate, barely by the skin of my teeth. My father said it was based on height. I got to 5'10", and they gave me a diploma. I got <laughs> thrown out of three schools. It took you know three attempts. I got thrown out of public schools, sent to private schools thrown out of private school, back to the public school, and finally graduated on my third attempt. I went to college. I was elected president of my freshman class, but I wasn't sworn in because I dropped out three weeks after I got there, so they didn't have time to swear me in. Uh, I had no discernible skills, but I I was born into a family of salespeople, so I almost didn't know anything else, and then I figured out it was a profession. If you got good at it, you could probably make a lot of money. And since then, I've traveled all over the world. I've met kings, queens, princes. I drag race through the streets of Oslo with the king of Norway. A friend of mine was driving and sort of knew the king. But the king liked, when the light turned green, the king liked to not be beaten uh, and had a wonderful life. You know, worked with the astronauts and the inmates at San Quentin and everything in between. And it all came from getting good at selling and public speaking. And I was going to ask you that, so I'm so glad you read my mind and brought that up because, listen, we all said, watch a three-year-old. You want to watch a salesperson who will (laughs) not be told no? Watch a three-year-old. They don't understand the word no. They're going to get what they want. They lose that knack after a while, and I think that's where you come in. You know, we all have that sales persona when we really, really want something. We're going to get it come hell or high water. We're going to get it. But then I really do think education knocks a lot of that, yeah, I'm going to go do this. I can do, I can do, I can do, I can do, to, oh, you're not supposed to do that. Well, me, I fight with my nav system. She's not the boss of me. I get lost all the time. But not everybody is like that. Most people are like, oh, well, you know, I don't know if that's a good idea. And they, let's go back to your friend, they lose confidence. But we're all selling. Now, whether we're good at it, whether we're magnificent at it, as you are, or whether we're just kind of skating through and hoping it works, we need to determine where we are and what we're going to do about it. Yep. And understand, it is a learnable skill. A, uh, and it is a profession when done properly with the right products and services. We as salespeople are among the highest paid professions on earth. I'm inclined to say the highest, but I'm sure there's some neurosurgeon somewhere who saves five lives a day who makes as much or more than I do and a lot of people I know. But uh, if you if you throw in and you don't have to have any education other than self-education, Uh, and self-improvement, throw that into the mix, we're by far the highest paid people. I I can be a salesperson or a trash collector. I'm qualified for either and about the same amount of qualification in either case. That's how I got driven into selling. I looked looked in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution one day 
for help wanted and couldn't find anything that I felt confident in calling uh, and, and setting up an appointment. And then I saw business opportunities, and it said, if you know anything about marketing plans and want to make more money, dial this number. Well, I didn't know what a marketing plan was, but I wanted to make more money. So I dialed the number, set up an appointment, Wednesday, September 15, 1965, at noon at 1447 West Peachtree Street, Suite 300. Didn't make any impression on me at all. Went sitting <laughs> in with minutes to spare, introduced myself, heard a laugh behind me, the old Ben Gay laugh. I'm sort of used to that. And I turned around and said, hi, yeah, my name's Ben Gay. What's yours? He said, Zig Ziglar. Zig had answered the same ad. And it was my entrance. I had always been selling. I won a citywide contest selling Krispy Kreme donuts in Atlanta when I was 10 and won a bicycle. So I, I've always been selling, but I hadn't made it to the big time. I hadn't made it to, you know, making adjusted for inflation a half a million dollars a month. And that's sort of what we fell into as soon as I learned scripting soon as I learned there was a way to present this product. <clears throat> so have we got time for a quick, great story that I just thought of? Absolutely. We've got about 10 minutes, but we can go oh, a little okay. bit over if you need. Okay. Uh, I'll make it short, but it just while talking, this thing reminds me of that. I'm one of those people who say, tell me a joke. I say, I don't know any jokes. Tell me a joke. They tell me a joke. That reminds me of two. I tell the two while I'm telling them, it reminds me of four more. <laughs> so in talking to you, I was suddenly sprung uh, on this memory. Talk about confidence. Jimmy Rucker, world's greatest salesperson, or the greatest salesperson I ever worked with or saw up close and personal. We're doing the holiday magic thing, and he's doing the after the film drawing the circles thing. And a guy says to him, and this is Southern charm, only Jimmy Rucker and or a smooth Southerner could get away with this. Guy says, well, I want to be a, I think, master distributor, which was $2,500, $25,000 in today's money. I want to be a master distributor. And Jimmy says, well, welcome to the, that's all you could do at that meeting. So that was all he could join up with. And Jimmy said, well, that's great. Welcome and so on. He said, the only thing is I forgot my checkbook. And again, this is before credit cards and debit cards and so on. You paid for things with cash or a checkbook. And Jimmy, he's already stood up to shake his hand. Table is between them. says, oh, I don't think so. And he pulls open the guy's coat, the lapel on his coat, reaches in to where we all kept our checkbooks, and pulled it. He says, here it is. Forget it. Gets it out. Oh and the God. guy says, oh, my God, I thought I left it on the dresser. He said, oh, you didn't. And he wrote Jimmy a $2,500 check. Now, if I but had done did that. Did he ever back out of it, though? No, did, no. Oh, okay, nope. good. He, he, because Jimmy then went into the post-selling script, and we all laughed about it, you know. But I, I I love that story because as well as I have done in selling and as gutty as I can be at times, even I would not reach into a person's coat pocket, <laughs> dig out. Nor would I. Yeah, I just, I just, but but if you're a sales infiltrator, yeah, but if you're a sales infiltrator like Rucker is and was, you could get away with that. Uh, because everybody loved Jimmy because he they you know they'd been together for an hour and a half at that point he probably could have done anything to the gentleman uh, and he'd have put up with it because Jimmy was a sales infiltrator I still cringe when I think of that moment because I thought that guy's gonna come across the table and punch him right in the face and uh, so anyway uh, that's one last story. That's a new one. I haven't heard that one, and I'm actually picturing it in my head. And you're right; it's a southern thing. Most people wouldn't, we just wouldn't even think about it. But oh my goodness! So, Ben, and we're going to be doing this, by the way, for our audience. We're going to be doing this every Wednesday, so stay with us because there's a lot, a lot to teach. 
what I want to know from you before we before we have to shut this down, we've got about well about six minutes. We're good. One of the things that you've you've said, and we've touched on it a bit, is don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, even the best salespeople can benefit from additional training and coaching. And I know that you are still training yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. What, uh, what is it? What kind of process do you go through, and what are you looking for every day? Well, primary one, when someone's trying to sell me, I listen. Mainly, I get mm-hmm. what not to do, uh, but frequently I get new ideas. Uh, I was talking to Ron Anspitz. You may know him. He's the sarcastic guy. Sarcastic, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was talking to him one day, and, and I, I had coined a phrase years ago that I bet you've used. People like to buy or do business with people they know, like, like and, trust. and trust. Yep. Yeah. That was mine. Uh, but it's been so was long it? ago and used by, yeah. See, and I so use it all ago. the time. I didn't know that was, do I have to give you yeah. credit? Do I owe you 50 cents? Yeah, it, it's, been, it's been gone from me so long and okay. used by so many people. I don't even quibble about it anymore unless I'm talking I'm to a keep, friend like you. you know, I'm going to keep just, using it. It's gone with, oh, yeah, absolutely. But talking to uh, Anspitch, I said uh, people, you know, like to buy from people they know, like, and trust. And he said, and feel safe with. Yeah. And I told him right then, I said, uh, I want you to know, you may consider that stolen. It is now added to my know, like, and trust and so on. And I found it to be very effective in training and very effective to have in my head. And that bit of knowledge, because I listen to good people, and he is one, um, is added to my repertoire in less than the last 60 days. So, it, And I've been at this since 19, at a high level since 1965. It's sort of hard to get me to add something because I pretty much got it figured out. So listening is a big one. And then I get the books about people who've been successful and sales tips and so on. And I have them available. Denise, within, I'm looking around on my credenza in front of me beside the computer on one side and over on the other side, there are probably 50 books within arm's length. Many of them are the classics that are just part of my life. In the bathroom, there's a stack that I haven't counted them, but there's probably 10 books there, 10 books in the car, 10 books in my briefcase, 10 books beside the bed. So people say, I don't have time to read. Uh, Of of course you do. If you'll take advantage of and harvest those little bits and pieces uh, of time, I may only read half a page at, at that sitting I just said bathroom, it may be a bad choice of words, but at that sitting or between a commercial break, if we're watching television in bed and there's a commercial break, I just pick up the book on my chest and start reading. So I just, I don't waste time and I have it available. If you don't waste time and have reading material within arm's length, how can you not learn? Exactly. And listen, like you, I'm a voracious reader. I started reading when I was three. Nobody taught me. Yeah, my parents had tons of books all over the place. And even then, I was a bit of an introvert. When siblings started coming, I kept saying, can you make them sit down? They talked too much. and They bothered me. (laughs) Bless my heart. But I, I remember in kindergarten, my teacher actually asked my mother, she said, Denise says she can read. I was five by then. Denise says she can read. She can't read, can she? And my mom said, well, of course she can. I couldn't read well, obviously, but I could read. And, you know, I could spell things out and ask questions. What was it? And the teacher said, well, how did that happen? How come she can read? And my mom looked at her and she said, well, we didn't tell her she couldn't, which I thought was brilliant. But, you know, I'm like you. I read all the time. I have three Kindles. You know, I have three, two iPads, a phone. Well, I have three, three iPads and a phone, and Kindle is on every one of them. And every chance I get, I'm reading something. And I will often, especially on Kindle, I'll, you know, I may just be scanning. I will start the page, 
I, I actually kind of focus in the middle of the page, and I find almost immediately what I need on that page. It's a very strange system, but it works for me. And I will mm-hmm. highlight it and email it to myself, and there I go. I've got the basis for an article or a thought or a question for Ben Gay III. Read. Everybody listen. Read and train yourself. Ben, before we go, do you have anything else you want the audience to know? Yeah, one of the great lessons from, from Dr. Hill and it fits in with what we're talking about with reading, have memo pads with a pen attached next to, and then I have one in my pocket, of course, a spiral memo pad and a pen in my pocket. So it includes wherever I am. But in the car, next to your bed, in the bathroom, in your office, if you have two desks, one on each desk, et cetera, and discipline yourself to write things down. You heard the Les Davis Uh, lost letter stories today because I wrote it down while we were talking about something else. You heard the yellow door story because I wrote it down while we were talking about something else. And you have a little file on my desk with probably 20 notes in it of things that we either discussed or ought to discuss or will do in the future together. Write it down. The old thing, I forget exactly how it goes, but a Short pencil is better than a long memory. I think that's close. Uh, and right. it's so true. Discipline yourself. And then every morning I get up, go around to all the memo pads, and I tear off the top sheet, assuming there's something there, and there almost is, almost always is on every memo pad. And they come to the office, and they go into my daily success system, which Dr. Hill also taught me. Maybe the next time uh, we talk, you might ask me about that. The daily success system has made a world of difference in my life. But mainly it was the discipline of writing things down. And uh, Dr. Hill told me something one day, and, and he said, he looked at me and said, well, write it down. And I said, well, I'll remember it. He said, no, you won't. Write it down. And he went and got motor yelled and got my secretary, executive assistant, Marty Conley, uh, to come in. He says, Martha. Would you get, Mr. Gay, a a packet of legal pads, please, and and, and some pens? And then he began helping me play. He'd stay up at the house. He says, where do you want to come in the door with two legal pads and two pens under his arm? Where do you want these placed? I said, well, one in the bedroom, one in my office. Uh, I had a home office. Uh, He said, that'll be good. Now, every time we discuss anything of any importance, I expect to see you write it down. So, but again, like reading, if you don't have a memo pad and don't have a pen attached to it, you probably say, well, I'll remember that. There was a three-day weekend not too long ago. I forget what it was, but therefore I didn't go to the office. Easter, wasn't it? It might have been. Yeah, well, a little longer ago. A good Friday or something. Yeah. But anyway, it was three days I didn't go to the office, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And that the first morning heading back, I went around and gathered up all my notes. I had 72 new ideas, reminders, check this, do this, etc. What are the odds, as smart as you are, of you remembering 72 things that popped into your mind randomly over a three-day period? Not going to happen. None, zero. <laughs> yeah, none. But no. if you write them down, they will. You know I where else I write things down, end, Ben? Go ahead, go ahead. I know you've got to go. I write in the shower. That's where I get I you and too. I get together. And that God, well, I use bathtub crayons. Okay. I have a grease yeah. pencil and a Formica board on a chain hanging over the uh, the, the faucet. And I don't use it a whole lot, but when I do, there it is. And then when I step out, I write it down on the pad that's right outside the shower. Well, I write mine. I scribble all over the bathroom, you know, the the shower. And, you know, once it clears out enough, because I take showers hot enough to steam broccoli, once the smoke (laughs) clears, so to speak, I'll go in there with my iPhone, take pictures of it, and then scrub the walls down, and I've got it. Listen, I I know you need to go, Ben. I love the idea of talking about daily success uh, system the next time. So thank you. And I will see you next Wednesday. Super. I look forward to it, Denise. And thank you to everyone listening to this. I appreciate your attention. 
And trust me, you are with a winner when you're with Denise. Have a great Mm -hmm. day. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Ben Gay again. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Your Partner in Success Radio, featuring my partner in this exciting venture, podcasting expert Denise Griffiths, and me, our resident sales expert. In addition to Denise's regular popular podcasts, which are among the top-rated podcasts in the world, here I will join her at least each Wednesday to share our insights in personal development, communication skills, and professional selling. And if you're looking to improve your sales skills and personal income, be sure to check out my books in the Closers series. And if you want to learn how to create your own successful podcast, connect directly with Denise. She is the best. If you enjoyed hearing from us, be sure to check out our websites and other contact points for more resources and information. For instance, we're currently featuring my The Closer sales training series, signed, dated, with special pricing, free shipping, and our famous lifetime money-back guarantees at stores.ebay.com forward slash Ronzoni Books, R-O-N-Z-O-N-E-B-O-O-K-S and may connect directly with Denise Griffiths about her products and services, all of which I wholeheartedly endorse at denisegriffiths.com. Let me spell that for you, D-E-N-I-S-E-G-R-I-F-F-I-T-T-S.com. Again, we thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. And remember, always be closing.